0: You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode.
1: Welcome to season three, episode 15 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo. And this week, I'm so excited to introduce you to Jen Pollock-Michelle. She is an author of a new book called A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. And she might have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is her fourth book. And we're just so excited to have her on the show. So welcome, Jen. Thank you, Jess.
2: You were right. Fourth book. So way to go. You did your research. <laughs> I did my research.
1: Yes. And I guess we'll start off there, too. Um, on, as I was doing some research, on your website, I saw that you say that you think the Bible restories us. Mm. Um, so I want to get into you know who you are and a little bit of your background as well. But what did you mean by that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think so
2: often we think of the Bible mistakenly as just a source of information. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and I'm going to get all of the right facts about... God about, you know, Jesus and his plan of salvation. And I mean, and there are many wonderful things to know in that way. But I think the best way to look at the Bible is to think of it as a story, you know, to really think of it as one story. And it's really the story of humanity turning away from God, you know, trying the road of self-reliance and autonomy and um, and that not going so well, you know, <laughs> that actually going really terribly, that going very ruinously for humanity. And then you see that God. God just never gives up on, on us, um, that he's constantly sort of making overtures a friendship um, mm-hmm. to his estranged people. And we see that in the gospels, you know, those overtures come really to climax in the person of Jesus. And I think to think of the Bible as a story is, is really inviting because it allows us to sort of take our place in the landscape a little bit. You know, if you think of the Bible as information, it could be easy to sort of think about it as a math textbook and you know a math textbook is important but it's really not what you want to keep at your bedside and it's not what you really want to wake up and read um unless you're preparing for a test and I think a lot of times we sort of think of the Bible in that way but to really think about it as a story to think about it as a story in which we actually have our own kind of role and we and um we sort of take our place in the action I think is much more inviting and um Probably much
1: more exciting too. Yeah, I agree. So, that's a good intro then into who you are, and what would you say your place is in the story, and a little bit about your background and how you, um, how God led you to writing this book.
2: You know, it's so fun, actually, to talk about our stories, because I think one of the things that's easy to note as we hear each other's stories is that they're really not linear. (laughs) You know, that we don't really plot our stories like I'll travel from A to B to C to D, you know, and it will all make sense. I mean, that certainly has not been true for me. I was, um, in terms of my faith life, I was raised in a Christian family and was one of those people, I think teenagers specifically, that was like, yeah, all of this is true and none of this is really very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll kind of do my own thing and come back to Jesus when I'm like, you know, in my 30s and I have kids and I'm driving a mini minivan and life will be boring already. So, I might as well be a Christian at that point. And that's not how my story went. You know, I think about My story in some ways, like Paul on the road, Saul on the road to Damascus, and Jesus just like, you know, totally turns his story around in in the most unexpected way. And I think that was true for me at 16. I was kind of heading one way and Jesus was like, nope you know, I'm calling you to follow me. And I said yes to Jesus at 16. And then, you know, from there, in in so many ways, I I thought I was going to be a teacher. And I was a teacher, actually, for a number of years, got married, was a teacher. And and then kind of like, you know, started having my family, having my kids, started to dabble in some editing work. Um, And I think the writing, I mean, to sort of look back, I think this is the other thing that's true about our stories. They often to make sense more in hindsight than we're really when we're living them and so as a writer I've had that impulse to write for so long I mean as a child um I mean as a teenager I've always been a journal journaler um I've always been right I always have written gifts for people um but I never would have called myself a writer until we moved to Toronto in 2011. That was kind of another surprise in the story. We are Americans. We came to Toronto in 2011 with our five kids um, because my husband had a job opportunity here. And I really felt at that point, like it it, that I felt that God was actually calling me to make a record of the story, to sort of pay attention, Mm -hmm. to keep a history, I think that's another really important thing about our stories is that they're meant to be remembered. And you see that a lot in scripture where Israel specifically is always sort of encouraged, remember, remember your story, you know, keep, tell your children the story um, of how God has been faithful. And I really felt that impulse in 2011, I think probably because it was such a big move for our family. Um, And I thought, well, I guess I'll start a blog and I can remember the day that my husband and I were actually walking the neighborhood. Our twins were really young at the time. They're 13 now. So goodness. I mean, they must've been about four and they were on their big wheels, you know, making a whole bunch of noise because those are so loud and pedaling ahead of us. And I told my husband, I said, I feel like God's calling me to start a blog. And we actually both shrugged and laughed and said, no, that's a really silly idea. Um, But it was one of those things that I just couldn't shake. I think that's another thing that's sort of true sometimes when God's calling you into something is that you just cannot shake the idea. And eventually I said, no, this, is, this really does seem to be something God's calling me to do. Not, again, not thinking it's going to lead to a book. It's going to lead to a career in writing. It was just that first step of starting a blog, keeping our story, paying attention. Um, so I guess, you know, that's kind of a long answer, but those
1: are some of the episodes of the story. Yeah, that's great. So what about this specific book? Um, what is the message of the book and kind of a little bit about the background?
2: Yeah. So we've lived in Toronto now for 10 years. And this specific book, I think really is a book that has grown out of my experience here of living in a city where faith is not to be taken for granted. I mean, it's just not the obvious experience of the person living in Toronto. I would say that my neighbors and, um, you know, the, the parents that I see in carpool, um, in the pickup line at school, when we used to pick up our kids, <laughs> um, you know, they, I think, have a very sort of, um, they puzzle over what the experience of faith is, and they don't really understand it, a lot of them. So I'm always trying to find ways to talk about faith that are accessible unmeaningful and deep and true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in some ways, this book is, um, it's a 40-day reading through the Bible. And I have in mind a couple of different kinds of readers. I'm thinking certainly of the person who's familiar with the Bible, who wants to deepen their experience (coughs) of faith. But I'm also thinking about the person who may be coming new to the Bible with just some spiritual curiosity, with some questions, maybe even, maybe even skepticism and hesitation. And so I take um, those. Those first 20 days, we dive into the book of Deuteronomy, which is like the weirdest place to start, <laughs> you know, especially when you think about
1: somebody who's new to Scripture, right? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of the Gospels or Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Deuteronomy. That's, the last,
1: that's the last 20 days, the, okay. the Gospel of John.
2: The funny thing is, Jess— When I was writing this book, there was a woman at my church who had just started to to attend, not having had any sort of faith background really, grew up in Spain, sort of like nominally aware of, you know, Jesus hanging from the cross, you know, because of cathedrals in Spain, and that sort of being an image that she could hold in her mind of Jesus, but no real spiritual experience personally. Came to church because of a life crisis, stayed because of the power of prayer, as Mm. she would go to the back every Sunday and get prayed for and, um, and just really developed a spiritual hunger, wanted to learn and study the Bible. And so my pastor introduced us. And of course, at the time, I was just getting ready to start work on this book. And I felt the nudge, you know, that nudge from the Lord, okay, this is somebody that you could read the Bible with and just kind of a company on her this the spiritual journey that she's on. And I had my own little debate with the Lord, like, I'm really busy. <laughs> How, how's this gonna work? I've got other commitments, you know, and other volunteer things I was doing for church, and of course, you know, writing the book. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, Well, you're working through the book of Deuteronomy. Why don't you just invite her to do that? So that's what we did. And we invited a couple of other women that I was actually already doing a study with. And I said, how about we incorporate this new friend and how about we start in the book of Deuteronomy? And again, you don't think it's the place that you should go in scripture, but it's actually an incredible book because I think it really helps people to see what the life of faith is about, that it's Mm -hmm. to be oriented to God in a relationship of trust and also obedience. And so there's a lot of, wonderful kind of themes that you can you can start to pull out from the book um, and yeah the cool thing about that story in particular is that probably for I don't know five months in she was a Christian you know it was just all kind of making sense and now you know a couple of years later she's actually moving back to Spain and can't wait to just share the gospel with her family and just a really encouraging story.
1: Oh, that's incredible. And such a beautiful example of how God meets us exactly where we are. And Mm -hmm. we don't know all the things he's working out behind the scenes. Like for this woman, you know, she had no idea that God had laid her on your heart and yet God sees us and he goes after Mm -hmm. us like that, which is Mm -hmm. something I just love about him. You mentioned that, you know, Deuteronomy teaches a lot about trust and obedience. As you were writing a book about those themes, did you see any like challenges with those in your own life? It's like, Mm. I hear a lot of authors say, you know, they're writing about a topic and then all of a sudden that's the area they're getting tested in. Mm. Did you see that come up at all? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, for sure, I can
1: remember, you know, so
2: you're, the book of Deuteronomy, the context of it is that the Israelites are getting ready to inherit the promised land. They have finished their 40 years of wilderness wandering. Moses is preaching his final sermons and and really telling them goodbye because he's not going to go into the land with them. And then he's saying, you know, here are the words of God and, and you can you can live by these words. They actually are the source of your life. Um, I think my experience of writing the book, one of the challenges was just, um, I actually felt like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, you know? Um, I didn't feel like I was on the edge of the promised land. Most Most of the time I felt like I was like far from the border of the promised land. And I remember one of my friends saying that to me, like, I think you're kind of like Israel. I think it was, you know, it was just a in some ways for me, the book was just a challenge of studying something that I was just a lot less familiar with, mm-hmm. um, kind of delving into a book that wasn't super, I mean, it was familiar in the sense that I'd read it. i i I'm sort of a Bible reader in terms, like I follow a plan usually every year that takes me through the Bible. So, I mean, usually once a year I'm getting through the book of Deuteronomy, but it's nothing I've ever really paid close attention to. Um, and I think, so, I mean, the challenge you have, like obedience, you see how it is so related to trust, mm. that it's not just, you know, obey these commands. it's 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 that Moses is saying, no, "You know, you got to trust. these are the source of your life. Um, and I realize, I mean, it's so easy to see how that breaks down for all of us, that um, generally, when we reject the words of God, what the ways that he um, invites us into, it's because we think that our path is going to be better, that we, you know, know better <laughs> about what will make our life good, um, what will make our life secure, happy, peaceful and um, and I think that's a constant challenge of faith. I don't even know if it was particular to writing the book. I think it's. I think it's probably one of those challenges that is chronic.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, whether you're on the cusp of a will or or on in the wilderness or the cusp of the Promised Land season, or I think God is constantly teaching us those things. As mm. you said, you were feeling more like the Israelites in the wilderness. Was there anything? that stands out that God was teaching you about His character through that season? One of the cool, I mean, really cool things
2: about Deuteronomy and how it talks about the wilderness is how it says the wilderness is actually the very thing you have to remember in your life of faith. Mm-hmm. So to even sort of return to an earlier thing that we were talking about, like memory and keeping your story, a lot of times I think we think that, well, we'll keep the hi- the highlight real will be kind of all the, the the mountaintop experiences, the wonderful places where the lush valleys, right? Like the, the arrival into the land. And Moses actually says to the Israelites, no, you've got to remember the wilderness because it's in the wilderness is actually when you found God to be faithful. It's when he provided for you. You were hungry and he gave you manna absolutely every single day in the in the wilderness. You were thirsty and he brought water from a rock. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 it says, you know, your clothes never wore out and your shoes didn't wear out, but God was humbling you. That's the word I think specifically that that Moses uses that he was humbling you by feeding you manna. And so the wilderness is that place where we We've realized that our own self-reliance, like it, it only gets us so far, you know, the Israelites, yeah. you know, they could have the provisions that they took from Egypt. How long do you think those lasted in the wilderness? Like, like three days, <laughs> you know, probably because yeah. they were in a hurry and they were leaving. <laughs> very quickly. So they they could only pack so many provisions. And I think that's the beauty and the hardship of the wilderness um, and the invitation of the wilderness is to see that God, that's gonna be the place that God's gonna provide. That's yeah. gonna be the place where actually you're gonna start to see that you, your own sort of resources are finite, limited, and that you're gonna have to look to his miraculous provision but nobody really wants to go through the wilderness and nobody yeah. really wants to, we, we do remember kind of on the edge of the wilderness, like how God has provided, mm-hmm. but we sort of want to lose sight of it as soon as we get into the land. And the the thing is, is that the wilderness, like all those lessons, you know, you never go through the wilderness just once mm-hmm. you go through it again, you know, and you're meant to, have remembered those stories and those lessons of provision the first time from the first time when you go through it another time. Mm. And the second time when you go through it again, the third time. Um, so I think the wilderness really is about building faith. And I've, I found myself recently, that's just been a very simple prayer. I've been praying like, God, increase my faith,
1: mm. increase
2: my faith. So I can, I can trust you more.
1: Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's in the thick of the wilderness and doesn't see the hope or the way out or the, you know, is so deep in it, they can't recognize the provision, even though it's probably happening
0: mm. all
1: around them. Um, what would you say to them? Yeah, I
2: think you know, one of the things that happens in the wilderness, and this again was true of Israel, is that all they could think about was like let's just take the food, for example. They actually catalog all the food that they miss from Egypt, you know, the leeks and the melons, and I don't remember what the other <laughs> what the other the, the, the meat for sure. And then all we have is this manna and we're so tired of it. And so I think recognizing that dynamic sometimes in the wilderness, God is providing. He may not be providing in the ways that you knew formerly. Um, That, you know, like to take the issue of the menu in the wilderness, it it was disappointing. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't meet the people's expectations. And I think that's kind of where we get stuck sometimes is that, no, God, I want you to provide in a very specific way. And until you provide in this way, I can't even see it as provision. And so sometimes it's really just sort of like retracing our steps a little bit and saying okay let me examine my expectations like in the wilderness they didn't they didn't ever die of starvation i bet they maybe felt a little bit hungry sometimes, you know? And there were days in the wilderness like where they went without water and they literally like grew into a murderous crowd and they were gonna stone Moses to death because they were so thirsty. So what, that's the hard thing. Again, it's like you, in the wilderness, you can experience hunger and you can experience thirst. And when God does satisfy your hunger and thirst, it may be in ways that you don't, recognize. Mm. You may need friends who can help you see the provision of the wilderness. I do think community is really, really huge in the wilderness. You know, there were always, there was always kind of like that the rabble, I think, is the way that it's talked about in the wilderness in the in Deuteronomy and other parts of the of the Pentateuch. Like the rabble in the wilderness. That's like the small band of people who are always like complaining. <laughs> That's Facebook today. That's exactly. <laughs> Okay, so don't spend your time with the rabble in the wilderness. Get some Joshua, get some Calebs and Joshuas, you know, the faithful two of the twelve who, when they were in the wilderness and actually scouted out the promised land, of course, this is at the beginning before they had the forty years of wandering. You know, they could they had trust and faith that God was going to provide. So I think that's really key is like who do you surround yourself with in the wilderness? if you If you link arms with a lot of other people who can only see the scarcity yeah. you can't expect your faith to grow,
1: yeah, that's powerful that's really good um it is there a time or something in your life that was really hard but worth the struggle hmm you
2: know, you hate to say it, but sometimes the early years of motherhood can feel a little bit like a wilderness. You know, I remember for me specifically, we have five kids, we had three kids in three years Mm. and I was like whoa okay take a breather after that you know felt a little bit like um yeah we sort of like the hurricane had come through and you know everything life was just a little bit scattered so when my youngest was three and my oldest had just finished her first year of kindergarten I started to think about a transition you know from the kind of harried years of motherhood into, you know, maybe a career shift. As I mentioned, I had been a teacher. I was doing a lot of ministry at that time, a lot of um, even just some writing Bible studies for neighborhood groups and that kind of stuff. And so I started to think about a ministry degree. I was going to maybe go back to graduate school, met with a professor, Sort of had a plan in place for meeting some of the prerequisites for the program, so that by the time my youngest was in kindergarten in a couple of years, like I'd be ready to start um, into the program. And then, of course, you know what happened. <laughs> like we gave away the crib and the car seat, and then found out we were pregnant, and then we found out that I was pregnant with twins. Oh wow! And it was it was just a really hard piece of news, I have to be really honest and say, I didn't know what God was doing at the time. It felt like, like it just felt like I was on the Monopoly board and I just got the like, go to jail, do not pass code, do not collect $200. And it, of course, wasn't that I didn't treasure children. I mean, I did. It was just that this was not the plan. Mm -hmm. Not as I had sort of imagined the next five, 10 years going. And I mean... (laughs) Of course, like now, 13 years later, you know, my twins are 13. My oldest is 20. I can see like how God has meant that for such good, Mm -hmm. you know, even just to be able to surrender to his plans and to sort of lay down my own. That in itself is such a huge um kind of, I don't know, benefit of all of of the struggle in some ways, Mm -hmm. Um, and even the pandemic year that we've just lived. And I think, wow, we really haven't, you know, in many ways when people have felt so lonely and isolated and surely like we have as well, there's also been the gift of like, we've had seven people in the house. (laughs) It's been pretty, it's been, you know, not necessarily quiet or dull. Um, And I think it's just encouraging to just um, remind people whatever struggle they're going through. You can never, and it's like being in the wilderness. You cannot see what it's doing, what it might, the fruit Mm -hmm. that it may be producing. But I can certainly see that, there's so many ways that I've been shaped through my years of motherhood that um, have deepened my trust in the Lord and and also just, I guess, matured me, <laughs> even made me probably able to do the work of writing. I really think that I probably wouldn't be a writer had it not been for some of my experiences in motherhood.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that, for being so open and real about it, because I think That's for some listeners out there who may be feeling similarly, but are struggling with Mm -hmm. some shame Mm -hmm. or maybe feeling like they're wrong for feeling that way Mm -hmm. um, when that's not the case at all. And so I thank you for your honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, So to kind of transition us back to the book a little bit as we start to wrap up, what is a practical way that you and our listeners can cultivate the habit of listening to God in our own lives. Mm -hmm. I always think of this question, like in
2: almost two parts, you know, there's, there's an active way we lean into listening, but I also think there's this active way that we have to create the conditions for listening. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the conditions for listening require like an intentiveness you know to God which means that we sort of have to put off distraction Um, and I think that's just a huge challenge in the age that we live in I mean goodness I have my smartphone right here beside me and it will buzz at me endlessly all throughout the day and keep me endlessly sort of attuned to things that actually don't even really matter sometimes. So how do you cultivate the habit of listening to God? I think number one, you have to manage your distractions. You have to like get real about your distractions and not only what they are, but why you really actually want to be distracted. Um, Because I think getting alone with God Sometimes, like, is the feels like a very vulnerable place. Like, actually, mm-hmm. I, I prefer to be distracted. I prefer to sort of um, not have to think about maybe the quiet anxieties of my own heart or shame or guilt mm-hmm. or fear or doubt. Yeah. I mean, do I even really want to get into God's presence because I don't even know if He's good? I think about the. Just, just this last probably four weeks, I've just felt battered by bad news, mm-hmm. um, not by my own personal bad news, but just friends, you know, who are experiencing really hard things: cancer, death. I mean, you know, marital crisis, um, addiction in their families, and. It is just felt like one piece of bad news after another. And sometimes to get into a quiet place with God means I have to really face that looming question of like, I don't even know... I don't know, A, if my prayers are reaching beyond the ceiling. B, if they are, are you even listening and attending to them? And so there are so many reasons that we keep um, kind of ourselves busy and distracted. Um, And I think it goes back to cultivating the habit of listening to God is really about cultivating the trust that when you get there, you're going to hear, it's going to be life for you. Mm. It's going to be life that, you know, I've been recently rereading John. John is the second part of a habit called faith. We're doing it in our small group Um It's come up in a prayer guide that we're using actually for some morning prayer times with our small group. And, you know, Jesus is constantly saying, like, my words are life. Remain in me. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. And like, this is where you will find your life. And I think if we could lean into that, like, we'd probably make time to Mm -hmm. listen to God. It wouldn't be hard because it would be like, well, this is great. This is way better than Netflix. (laughs)
1: Yes, amen. That's so true. So as we wrap up, what is something that's on your heart? Do you feel like there's anything right now that God is giving you, speaking of listening, Mm. like for our readers, or just anything I didn't ask that you feel is of the utmost importance for someone out there right now?
2: Mm. I think Jess, just, just to rem- remember kind of what you said initially before we even started recording about the collected self. You know, this idea of like the centered self, the the self that finds its um, identity in God. Um, I think that there is something so beautiful. I think for me, one of the lessons of the spiritual life over the last many years is to realize how human that self is. It's actually just sort of been returned to what we talked about by the nature of story, the fits and starts of our own stories, what it means to be a human self moving through the world with limited wisdom, limited knowledge, and then to remember how wide God's arms of mercy are Mm -hmm. how much compassion he has in Psalm 103 we're reminded that he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust and I've just found that so deeply encouraging I think in years where I'm so I feel like as I age I grow more and more aware of my own failures and flaws and and the limits of my own self and then to realize that God has such um compassion and mercy and love um i i think i find that encouraging and maybe i'll just leave that with listeners
1: that's beautiful that yeah that is true and so perfect thank you so much for joining us this week yeah thanks for having me what a great conversation with jen um at one point, while she was talking, it made me think of a story that I heard in a sermon recently about a man named Ira Yates. He was a rancher in West Texas back in like the 1920s. And um, he and his wife were facing bankruptcy. They couldn't pay their taxes. They couldn't pay their mortgage. Um, and he just had this inkling to test his land for oil. And it turns out, that, that was a great idea because there was a large reservoir of oil that lay beneath their property. Um, and they had 21 square, mi- or sorry, 41 square miles of land and beneath the soil was just tons and tons of oil. Um, I looked up the numbers at the peak of production on his land. He was producing 112,000 barrels of oil per day which in today's dollars would be worth $1.7 million a day in oil for someone who was on the verge of bankruptcy and couldn't pay their taxes. And yet the whole time beneath the surface were immeasurable riches. So I, I mean, you could probably tell where I'm going with this, but we may not have literal gold or oil beneath the surface. Um, but I think that's just such an incredible picture of the things that we do have access to in the Lord, even when we feel completely spiritually bankrupt. Um He has placed inside of us. We have access to the things of heaven um, if we ask. And like Jen was saying, sometimes it's a perspective shift. Sometimes it's not going to look how it did in the past or how we want it to now. But that doesn't negate the fact that that we have access to the things of heaven. And that doesn't mean we're going to get the immediate answer we want, but it means that God is always with us. And I mean, God is more valuable than 1.7 million dollars a day of oil. Uh, even though we may not feel that every day, you may be thinking, "Yeah, but 1.7 million dollars a day would solve a lot of my problems." But in the scope of eternity, like we're going to get so much more than that. With eternal in eternity, with our heavenly Father, who will give everything we ask for, and who has abundance waiting for us. On the other side, like I've just been challenged, especially 2020, 2021, to continually keep my focus on the belief that this world is not all there is, and that my hope is not in the things of this world, and that that is the promise that we can live in and walk boldly and confidently in. Um, So again, if you've made it to the end, and you've listened to all of my solo ramblings I appreciate you. Um, So thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I hope that uh, we are just speaking to someone out there and providing some hope and encouragement and reminding you that you are loved and cherished and valued by our Creator, uh, which is just such a mind blowing concept that He sees us and loves us and values us and that He's fighting on your behalf even when you don't feel it or you don't see it. He is working behind the scenes for your good and for His glory. And I just hope you can stand on that truth today and find some hope in that. Um, So I love you all so much. If you love us back, please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Collective Ministries. It really means a lot to us. And I will be back in two weeks. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit CollectedMinistries.org donate. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, giveaways, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes and Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.